Uh, it's good to get a chance to, to stand before you tonight. Um, uh, we've been spending a little bit of time talking about uh, the cross and the implications of the cross for, for life in, in, in all that we do. Um, and so we're going to dive in a little bit more about that tonight. Um, so what I want to do to start is uh, I just want to draw your attention to, to the screen as uh, a passage is, uh, scrolls across the screen and uh, is, is, is read to you. So uh, Jeff, if that's ready, uh, hit that and, and draw your attention there. Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore he says also in another psalm, You will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep, and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Pray with me. God, I thank you for your great salvation. God, that we come here week in and week out to celebrate. God, all that you've accomplished for us and all that you desire to accomplish, God, not just in our hearts, but but we believe in the hearts of, of the world. And so, God, as we, uh, as we look deeper at that tonight, God, might we, uh, might we see a, an incredibly loving God who moved heaven and earth to express that love, to put that love within our reach. Um, God, meet us where we're at tonight. God, some of us are broken. Some of us are hurting. God, come and speak to that tonight. God, we pray that we would see you tonight. 
Uh, in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I'll get to that in, in just a second. But uh, we've been talking about the cross for, for the past couple of weeks, and we've been talking about uh, all that the cross has accomplished for us, um, and all that the cross will continue to accomplish for us, and so we're going to spend a little bit of time on that tonight. Um, but uh, one, of the, one of the things that, that as I was thinking about uh, this message and, and, and standing before you tonight, I was thinking about some of the different things that, that I've experienced in my life. Um, like, have you ever been to this place where um, you had this huge task at hand, and in the midst of it, it was just overwhelming, just overbearing. Um, it just, like, owned your life, okay? Um, and then, all of a sudden, when that was over, there was this unbelievable relief that you're just like, <sighs> finally. Uh, I have a couple things that trigger in my head when I think about that. Um, the first one uh, deals with, um, so one time I installed central air in my, uh, my townhouse. First time I've ever done it, and definitely the last time I will ever do it. Um, an incredible, uh, something, ah, it can't be that big of a deal. You know, you cut a little bit of holes here, you run a couple, a little bit of ductwork here. Um, you know, you know it, you, it'll be done. Uh, no, uh, it was unbelievably insane. Um, and in the midst of all that, I'm like, will this ever end? Will this ever go away? Um, and it eventually did. Um, and the relief was pretty incredible. Uh, another thing that I think about uh, pretty regularly, well, not regularly, but I guess I do. I'll, I'll explain why in a second. Um, so, so one day, um, we had this massive paint spill at our, at our house. And when I say massive, I basically mean that, like, a can of paint fell off the refrigerator. And, yeah, the lid really wasn't on it. And so, um, you know, it fell about seven feet, and uh, it just went. Uh, I don't know if everywhere's a good word for that, um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I can't think of another one. So it went everywhere. And so what do we have to do? We basically just moved in where we were at, and we had to start ripping out the carpet, right? Some of you have I've told this story before. Um, and so uh, when you rip out the carpet, you've got to do something, right? And so we start laying down this, this wood floor, and, uh, you know, I, so I tried to do it in a weekend, pretty much did it by myself. My dad helped me a little bit, and uh, it was just, you know, Hour after hour after hour, tried to kill it in a weekend. Finally, uh, I finished. Um, now, this isn't really part of the story, but I'll make it a part of the story. We recently had a water leak, and it went into the floor, and now it all buckled. and So now we're back to square one, but it's still sitting there. But anyway, so at that moment, there was great relief. Now that relief isn't really there anymore, but that's okay. Um, and then the other thing that really is in my mind a lot is uh, I ran a marathon in October. and uh, And so... Uh, I can explicitly remember moments in this marathon where I thought I was going to die, okay? Um, if, if you've ran one, maybe, maybe you, could, you could attest, um, where you thought you literally were going to fall over dead. Um, and uh, I didn't, in case you're wondering, um, hence I stand here before you today, um, but uh, but literally, uh, I wouldn't say immediately after I finished there was relief because it probably took uh, several hours, if not several days, before I finally reacclimated. Um, but we've all been there, right? We've all been at this place where um, finally we, we come to grips with this, it's, it's finished. 
finally, maybe it was a, a degree, maybe it's just some trial you're going through, I, I don't know. Um, I don't know what it is for you, but um, we, we've all been there. Um, we recently talked about Christ and his suffering in, in the Garden of Gethsemane and how overwhelming that was for him. Um, and, and I think we could draw some parallels. Um, I don't want to say that my, my marathon running was equivalent to the cross in any way, but um, we, we can kind of draw some parallels regarding uh, pain and suffering in life, right? Um, and Jesus makes this incredible statement moments before he's about ready to be crucified in, in John chapter 17, um, in, in verse 4. This is what it says. Jesus says, uh, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Um, so what's, what's incredible about that statement is, uh, is this idea that Jesus says, all that I, that I came to this earth, so God comes in the flesh to this earth to manifest himself to his people, okay? And, and all that he did in his life and ministry on earth was really for one purpose. Ultimately, for his father. Now, we, we benefit from that, and there's ramifications that, that apply to us, but ultimately, he's like, Father, you gave me a plan. I came here, and I, I accomplished it. Now, this is moments before he's about ready to jump on the cross, probably not by way of jumping, but um, he got up there somehow. Um, and then in John 19, uh, he makes this statement that I just want to kind of, I want to kind of hang on a little bit tonight. Uh, John 19, starting verse 28. It says, uh, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You know, sometimes we kind of brush over things. There's, there's three words in that passage that have massive implications for your life and my life. And it's the phrase, it is finished. It is finished. Um, turn in your Bibles to, to Acts chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, um, there's Bibles on both sides of the room. If you don't own a Bible or you need a Bible, that's a gift um, to you from us. Um, you're welcome to, to take that home. Um, Acts 13, uh, this is what was read to you. And, and the reason why I had it read to you is because I wanted you to, to come to grips with... Um, this picture of, of God's great salvation. Um, and so, look at verse 29. Acts 13. I just want to pick up in, in verse 29 as I try to guide us through this idea of what does it mean that it is finished. 29, it says this. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God has promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. I'm going to stop there. Okay, so, so what's going on here? Um, 
the writer here in, in Acts is saying this. He's saying that really everything that was predicted, one of the things that makes Christianity so unique um, and really makes the Bible, uh, let's say the, one of the main evidences that shows the truth of Scripture to us as being real and as being something we can hold on to and really have it own our lives, um, and we can believe or what's predicted coming true. Prophecies fulfilled, and here namely it says, all that the fathers promised. What? This has been fulfilled in the person of Christ. This has been fulfilled in the person of Christ. Now, last week, uh, Rick covered a couple things. I just want to review with you real quick, and we'll move on, that what the cross accomplished for, for us, okay? Um, so take a look. There's, there's three things I just want to point to your attention, point your attention to real quick. Um, the first one, uh, Christ suffered to pay the penalty for our, for our sin. Christ suffered to pay the penalty for our sin. Christ absorbed the wrath of God, really so we wouldn't have to, right? Because that sin separates us from God, and so he took on that wrath so that we would not have to. And what did he do? He purchased our righteousness so that now we are his. When he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of his son. But what I want to do tonight, uh, in, in moving that forward, talk about the finality of the cross. What did the cross finally accomplish for you and I? Okay, um, And I want to do this in a way that really has been very shaping for me um, as, a, as a Christian and as a student of God's word. Um, I want to point out to you, and um, maybe you've heard of this before, maybe you haven't, but I want to point out to you something that's really all over the Bible um, is this. Uh, what I would call the three tenses of salvation. Okay, um, the, the three tenses of salvation. Um, if you're familiar with English, um, which hopefully you are, I think you are, um, we have the past and we have the present and we have the future. Well, we can take those and we see in Scripture that salvation is described in, in those three ways, the past, the present, and the future. This is speaking from the perspective, from the perspective of a Christian. Okay? Um, so real quick, in your Bible, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to meet you there in just a second. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at 3 through 5. And we're going to use this passage to give us a description of each one of these tenses of salvation. Okay? Um, 1 Peter 1, uh, we'll get there in just a second. Um, what I want to say before we go forward is this. Anytime we come across these three tenses of salvation in the Scripture... Anytime we come across the, what the Bible talks about, this idea of God's great salvation, we have to ask, what is it talking about? Is it talking about the past? Is it talking about the present? Or is it talking about the future? Okay? Um, and so we'll, we'll describe that. Um, in effort to be very clear with you tonight, um, I pre-recorded uh, a couple videos that I want to show you. Okay? That really are my thoughts on how this idea of the, the three tenses of salvation have affected my perspective of life um, in Scripture, okay? 
And so uh, as I introduce each one, I'm going to show you a video, and then, we're, then I'm going to uh, expound upon it. So Jeff, why don't you uh, go ahead and fire the first one. I remember as a young kid when uh, my mom taught me about Christ and the day I surrendered my life to Him. What now I would describe as God saving me more than an act of my surrender, but an act of God calling me to Himself at a really young age. I remember very explicitly the moments that that followed, um, just the exuberant joy that that filled my heart um, in knowing, coming to this realization of uh, of what had happened. I remember running up and down the halls of my house. I remember uh, telling everybody um, that I knew that uh, that I'd been saved, um, and. I think that really captures this idea of, of what the scriptures talk about when they talk about the past tense of salvation, that I was saved, uh, namely from the guilt of sin. This, my conscience is clear. Uh, this legal act that God has done to uh, declare me not guilty uh, because he's paid the price for me set me free and, and given me his righteousness. And so I think that really captures this, this idea of um, justification. here in this place tonight, um, if, if you are a believer, uh, that verse that you saw there at the end des- describes you, okay? It, it says, I don't know if you noticed it, and such were some of you. It's talking about like sexual immoral, uh, idolaters, adulterers, swindlers, okay? And it says, and such were some of you, but you were washed. Okay, that, that's, that's this idea that when the Bible talks about I was saved. Okay, so if you ever hear somebody talk about that in their life, that's what they're saying, right? If you hear somebody use those words, yeah, I was saved when I was five or whatever, what are they saying? Namely, they're saying that that I was saved ultimately from the guilt of sin. Okay, let me give you a, let me give you a, a description of this. Um, th- this word, uh, it's a big word called justification. Um, he- here's what it means. Uh, the point at which God declares a person not guilty, uh, maybe if you've ever been in, a, in, a, in, a, in court for whatever reason, maybe you were declared not guilty. Um, it's this idea of, of really a legal term, um, declaring someone not guilty but declaring them righteous. Okay, so it really doesn't, it's not that God twisted things. It's not that all of a sudden God's like, well, I just love you so much that we're just going to kind of change up the rules a little bit. You're not guilty. You're not guilty. Why? Because I'm declaring you righteous. Why? Based on on Christ. Okay? Um, 
Now, you have your Bible open to 1 Peter, right? Okay, let's look down there. Um, we're we're going to be here the rest of our time, so keep it there. Um, this, every ten, all three tenses of salvation are seen in 1 Peter 1, uh, 3 through 5. So we're going to read it three times tonight, at least. Here we go. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You pick up on that phrase. Maybe you saw it. It says this in verse 3. He has caused you to be born again. Okay, this is, this is what we teach regarding this idea that salvation is an act of God. Right? We've heard that before, right? That, that salvation is a work of God. Okay? You, can't, you can't do that without God's activity accomplishing that on our behalf. Right? He has caused us to be born again. So like, I don't all of a sudden come to this idea that I, I just want to love God. God's got to put that in me. I don't wash myself. I don't clean myself. Okay, so it doesn't matter how many times I've been dunked. It doesn't matter how many times whatever. Like, God's, it's God's activity in my heart and in my life. He's caused me to be born again. Why is that such a big deal? Because Ephesians says that I'm dead in my sin, right? I'm dead. I can't, if I'm dead, I can't do anything to get out of that. And so that's the past tense, that I was saved from the guilt of sin, that, that I have a clear conscience before God. Now, some of you might be like, uh, I don't know that I have a clear conscience. I, I know I'm a Christian, but you weren't with me last night. I thought it said in such were some of you. I'm sitting in a lot of guilt right now. Well, that's when we come into this idea of the present tense of salvation. Watch, uh, watch this video. I think that when I think about this idea of sanctification, which really is what the scriptures teach from the moment of regeneration, from the moment of my conversion to the moment Christ comes and takes me home, living in the present reality of my growing more and more into the likeness of Christ. If you look around, if you look at Christians in the scriptures, if you look at Christians in the world today, we see this, this fact of every process of sanctification, every process of growing more and more into the likeness of your Savior looks very different. Some people go through immense amounts of suffering, immense amounts of brokenness, and God uses that as a means to making them more and more like Him. Uh, some people, for whatever reason, don't experience as much pain in their life, don't experience as much um, suffering and grief and God is still using the different events in their life to draw them to Him, to perfect them, 
in their faith. The scriptures teach this present tense that I am presently, progressively, actively being saved every single day. That more and more every day that I live, as I live a life of repentance, confessing my mistakes before the Lord, before others, and sinning less, in a sense where, no, I will never be perfect in this life, um, but my my life should mirror His character more and more. And, uh, and so this idea of I'm being saved from the power of sin, that really I have the victory even now. And so what the present reality of, of salvation is in my life is this becoming in practice who I already am in the eyes of God, that I am absolutely justified and, and seen as righteous in God's sight. But there's sometimes that I don't, I don't act that way. I don't act righteous, um, but, I, but I am. So how can more and more I come to grips with this reality that sin has no power in my life, but I am, I've been set free from that sin, and uh, every day I'm, I'm growing into this reality of becoming in practice who I already am in the eyes of God. said that to those who are being saved. Okay, so so every every one of you in here that that has trusted in Christ for salvation from the moment that's that's at a specific point in time. Okay, justification is not a process. It's a specific point in time where you are declared not guilty and declared righteous. Okay? Now this matter of present tense is dealing with this idea that there was a point in time, and from that point in time until when Christ returns, which is the future, we'll get there in a second, that, that I'm in the midst of, of what Scripture calls sanctification. Okay, we, we, if you've been in church, you've heard that word before. Okay, and what is, what is this? Um, here's what it is. The process by which God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, using the circumstances in a person's life, conforms them more and more into his likeness. Okay, now, this isn't a pretty process. Okay? Um, you're around different people that in, in some people's life it looks one way, in other people's life it looks another way. Okay? Why is it that, that some people go through an immense amount of suffering and pain in their life and some people don't? That's a hard question. And what's easy is for us to, to look, look over there and say, why? Like, why do they have it so good? Why don't I have it so good? Okay, but, but really, for me, as a child of God, I stand in this reality of knowing, okay, God, you are making me into something. What? A person after your own heart. Okay, now, I would venture to guess that, that the majority of the time, that's not our inclination. 
Okay? You, you probably don't just jump out of bed like, you know, ready to go for Jesus every single moment of every single day, do you? No. Okay, now, do the scriptures call us to that? Sure they do. So how do we explain this dichotomy, this tension? Well, we explain it in the sense that, that God is doing a work in our hearts and our lives. What is he doing? He's making us in practice who I already am in God's sight. Okay, and so this idea that I am being saved from the power of sin carries this weight that sin has no power in my life. None. But to the degree it does, because some of you are like, wait a second, temptation's really hard. Like, I would consider that power. But the power that you, you grant to it. Okay? And so the... The times when we fail to run hard after the Lord, the times when we, ultimately, where does that power come from? It comes from Him. Right? Second Corinthians, or Colossians 2.6 says, just as, you were, just as you came to Christ, so you walk in Him. Right? So if, if the process of me being declared righteous is an act of God, then the process, or I'm sorry, if the point, it's not a process, if the point of me being declared righteous is, a, is an act of God, then the process, according to Colossians 2.6, is also an act of God. That God is using the circumstances in our lives. Some are great. Some are brutally ugly and horrible. To where you don't even want to go on. So, so what do you do? We come to this realization that How does, how does sin affect a believer? Okay, well, if sin doesn't affect my right standing before God, this is why this is so crucial, okay? Because what, what people want to do is they want to take sin and they want to say, well, you sinned? Well, then you're not a Christian. You're not right. You're no longer right with God. Well, then what does that make my life? It makes my life this balance beam act where I better, I better keep straight or all of a sudden, like, God's not happy with me. And so what does that make? It, all of a sudden now, I'm saved through my, act, through my works. You know, people want to say, you're saved by the sheer act of God. And then you, you go live in your life, and you're like, you better be careful. And all of a sudden, my sanctification is now on me. It's, it's really, really dangerous. So, so where does sin come in for the life of a believer? It's this. Um, it affects my sanctification. Okay, and so if, if the process of sanctification really, what is a Christian called to? Well, relationship with Christ. Okay, and if Psalm 1611 is true, and here's what Psalm 1611 says. It says, in his presence is fullness of joy. Okay, and so if in his presence is fullness of joy, and I'm called to run hard after him, and I don't, what's at stake? Okay, so while my sin does not affect my right standing before God, because I never got it on my own to lose it, if he did it, then the process of sanctification in the moment of me pursuing my flesh, what am I doing? I'm forsaking my own joy. Namely found in the person 
of Christ in his presence is fullness of joy. Okay, so the fellowship with God. So when my daughter sins against me, she doesn't cease to be my daughter. But what's broken? Our fellowship. Our joy before one another is broken. And so our perspective as Christians has to be this. Romans 8.1 says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation in Christ. So what am I doing? I already have the victory. You know that passage that says you're more than a conqueror? That just blows me away. How can you be more than a winner? Congratulations, you don't get the gold. You get the whatever, the gold gold. I mean, how does that work? That's what it's, what it's called. That's, that's what we are in Christ. And so what do I do? I fight from the reality that I already have the victory. That it's already mine in him. Coming in practice, who we already are in the eyes of, of God. So, what do we do to the extent that the process of sanctification is brutal? And you know what? For a lot of Christians, it is because what is God doing? God is rooting out the self that we love so dearly <laughs> and drawing us to Him. And that's an ugly process. Which is why this isn't a perfect church. Christians aren't perfect people. Christians are, are just people who, they have no boast except in what God's accomplished. And so what really frustrates me to no end are Christians who walk around like high and mighty as if, you know, look at me, look what I've done. You've done nothing. Nothing. Don't be that. Christians, walk humbly with your God, Micah 6.8. Why? Because he's done it. He's accomplished it. He is accomplishing it. And then finally, the hope of the future, the future tense of salvation. Watch this video. We live in a world that is incredibly broken, full of pain and suffering. And one of the questions that comes up for, for me all the time is this question of pain in life. Mirroring that with God's love trying to understand how those two can peacefully coexist. When we look at the scriptures, we come to grips with this reality of salvation. While God has accomplished salvation in the hearts of many, and justification is a final thing, why is there still struggle? Why is there still pain in this life? And the hope and the anchor really for the believer is yes, I have strength and I have hope and, and I have so much to cling to now that the bottom can fall out and I have 
a savior who is near and I have hope in the scriptures but really what defines that hope and really what makes that not this thing of despair is the hope of the future the hope of that one day this pain and suffering will finally come to an end that one day I will no longer have to endure the trials in this life that I will be saved from the presence of sin that although I am declared righteous and God is my savior sin is all around us sin is all around this world and it's uh, an incredibly broken place but the hope that I have that one day the Lord will rescue me out of it and take me to be with him where there will be no sin there will be no pain um, that I will completely be saved from this life and taken to be with the Lord is an incredibly hopeful and incredibly joy filled thought that I look forward to and that every Christian should look forward to every moment of life so we don't despair in our suffering because as a believer I know that yes I have hope in this moment but I also have the hope that one day I will be glorified and will be taken to be with my Savior Waiting for our blessed hope. So hope isn't this word. You ever hope for something? And it's kind of in a lot of a lot of sense this like, I really hope it happens. I'm like, no. The future hope that a Christian has is that one day I'm gonna be taken from this place. That the The pain in this life, the heartache in this life. Yeah, there's joys, there's pleasures, there's times of being, times being a parent is an unbelievable thrill. There's times being a parent is incredibly difficult. Okay, so the hope of one day. God rescuing us from the presence of sin. It's all around us. And it's in us. Okay, and and, and while Christ has accomplished our salvation, our right standing before God, and he's doing a work and conforming us more and more into his image, and so our, our work for the Lord is to communicate that reality to the world. We have a hope that one day I will be saved from this life. That I will come into complete, 
unashamed, unbroken fellowship with my God. Go back to 1 Peter. I think I skipped it on the last one. Uh, 1 Peter, chapter 1, uh, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. That's the past tense. To a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And here's the present tense. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Why do I say that's the present tense? Is because what I said earlier, I'm kind of backtracking. What I said earlier is that, that we can't, if, if salvation is an act of God, then, then what happens? If justification is an act of God, that it's kept in heaven for me. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion. Continue reading. And here's the future tense. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so, as Hebrews says that hope is the anchor for our soul. So what keeps me from wanting to jump off the bridge when the bottom falls out of life. Isn't just this idea that God is near in this life and God is here and God can meet you where you're at. Like that's hope-filled, okay? That God is near to the brokenhearted. And so where we're at in this life, God wants wants you to meet him in those moments. But more than that, the hope of like one day, one day, like it'll all be over. And the pain and struggle in this life will finally be saved for me to live forever with my Savior. Like that's our hope. I remember. The latter part of my marathon, uh, everyone should run a marathon. It's incredibly uh, mind-shaping. So um, we'll start our training next week. Um, see, see that guy right there. Um, but I remember in the latter portions of the marathon when I literally thought, I was, like when my body was doing things that I'd never felt it do before and I literally thought I was going to die. Um, I knew there was a prize. I, I, knew, I knew, I just think of some of the different signs that I saw. Some people like, there's this sign that said, uh, beer at the finish line. I just thought that was kind of funny. Um, it's like the last thing I wanted, uh, you know, um, at that time. Um, but uh, the hope of what will happen. Like, that I was going to receive a prize, and I did receive a prize. Okay? And so we rest in that here. So in this moment, we stand in this reality of what God has done, what he's accomplished on our behalf. In the past, I am saved. But this reality that I'm presently, God is doing a work in my heart to draw me to him. Okay? And the way he does that is he uses this body of believers to accomplish that. Okay, and the hope and even the reminder that we all need every day is that one day, 
one day, God's going to bring it to completion. So, looking forward to that. But also asking the question, are we ready for that day? Are we ready for the day that, that we'll meet God? And if we're not ready for that day, then, then maybe the, the initial part of God making us right with him has never happened in us. Or maybe what God has done in this process of sanctification is that I'm holding too tightly onto this world. To the point where God's going to bring a, a tornado in your life. And still he seeks the fellowship of his people and will bring them both sorrow and joy to detach their hands from the things of this world and attach them to himself. Get at that. That's what God's doing. And some of us, God's saying, man, will you let go of this world? Will you let go of this life? And will you hold on to me? For there you will find hope. For there you will find rest. It doesn't mean your life's going to be perfect. It doesn't mean there's not going to be pain. But there you will find hope and rest in your darkest hour. So, Father, your son hung on the cross. And in that moment when he said, it is finished. We stand in that hope tonight. All that you have accomplished for us. And God, the reality that it is finished shows us that we have a guarantee kept for us in heaven. But God, meanwhile, we have a God who's near, offering us relationship with himself by grace through faith. So God, we just thank you for your word. pressing us with it tonight, and we pray that you'd continue this work of our being saved from the power of sin with the hopes that one day we will be saved from its presence. We trust you in that.